Good morning. Can you praise the Lord together? Yeah. Isn't it great to be able to work together like that? It's been a great time worshiping together, and, and uh, we're going to continue doing that as we go to God's Word. I'm going to preach this morning something that's, that I really has been given to me just this last week. We were on a schedule, but we're going to talk about something this morning that, that uh, uh, we're going to talk about sin. Whoa, anybody here a sin expert? Yeah, you know, isn't it amazing not a one of us went to school to learn how to sin, but we're all experts, right? Nobody taught us. It just comes natural. Pray with me as we begin this this morning, because my prayer this morning that our hearts are convicted by what we learned this morning. It's exactly what sin is. Lord, we come to you this morning in your word, your word that you've given us. Lord, as we open it. As we see it, would you open the eyes of our heart, our mind, all that we are, Lord. May we just be poured out before you. And you teach us, Lord. It's your word. Because, Lord, we want you to teach us so we're changed. We're changed, Lord, in our whole walk because you walk with us. We're changed, Lord, to be more like you and what you would want us to be, Lord, for your glory. So, Lord, hear our hearts and our minds before your word. Amen. One thing the Old Testament and the New Testament agree on is this one verse. Well, more than one verse, but here's what they agree on. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You can find that in Psalm 32, and it's Repeated by Paul, he cited it in Romans 4, 4, 7. So what that means is whoever doesn't have their sins covered before God and not forgiven by God is not blessed and really unfortunate. Even if the, the unrepentant and, and the unforgiven around us are successful in this world, if they don't, Someday they're going to face judgment for their sins, no matter how successful they are around us. He will not escape judgment. Romans 2 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, just that picture alone, God's wrath being poured out on somebody. The God who, who is the God of all power, the God of everything, who created everything around us. Pouring his wrath out on a human being makes you want to just stop thinking. Most people. It's not much you can really keep in that mind, is it? God's wrath poured out on us. There's nothing more important to anybody sitting here in this auditorium today or anywhere around us than to recognize his sinfulness and find a way for that sinfulness to be covered so they don't have to face that wrath. Amen? There's many here who know that, who know the answer to that. But here's the problem with sin. It's all around us. Is that it's deceptive. It's hiding. It tricks everybody. Everybody. 
Hebrews uh, 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. At the heart of every, all sin is a lie. It's deceitful. Um, we all hear that lie, that, that sin going on all around us. You know, you know what you're doing. It's really not so bad. You know, you've already come. You know all that one. We all hear that all day long, do we not? Um, there's a whole lot worse going on. So, you know, God's going to, he'll overlook you. It's not really that important to him. So you're okay. Uh, by the way, you can't help it. You're human. We're born with sin in us, right? So, nah. I mean, God's not paying attention to this little everything. I'm sure there, there's some bigger sins going on right around the corner or right over here at the shopping center or something like that. So we don't worry about that. You know, there are a million distortions of the truth that brings with it into the human heart. And i got to tell you, that's why Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. sick. Who can understand it? Only God can. It's just too easy for sin to creep into anyone's life. Every one of us, all the time. It's around us. It, it, it can be so subtle. It, without notice, the simple repetitive exposure, you know, it's the pecking of some little, some little sin, just always there. It, it, but it distorts the truth, and it keeps us from it. You know, when I look around the neighborhood that we're living in here right now, you know, I, I see the, 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 the sin that's out there. You know, of course, the drugs and, 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 the, and the promiscuity and, and all of that all around us. You know, it, it, I see that, and, and that bothers me. I think there's the, that's the same sin that pecks at me. In every one of us. Just the little ones, isn't it? Same sin behind it. And then you look outside the small little world we look at, and, and you see all the, the terrorism and, and man's inhumanity to man you know, all around the world, around us, even near us for that matter. But, you know, the big stuff, with the human trafficking and, and all that. And, and when I look at that, that same subtle sin pecks at me every day. In every one of us, doesn't it? Sometimes they ask, so what hope, what hope could we possibly have in trying to, to, to win people when all that sin is out there and it, it's ugliness and, and all of that is all around us? What good if we fail to repent and turn away from our sin? But then I remember the promise about the God's word which is in Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and, and of the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and, and, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing exposes our sinfulness better than God's word. You believe that? It is. It's a hard thing sometimes to read God's word and say, oh, I've blown it. So I want us to go to God's word today 
And I want to show you a definition of sin that you may or may not have considered before so that we too can know this covering that we get through Jesus Christ from this sin that's always with us. So just what is sin? What does this say? Let me tell you what. The, the most powerful and the most distressing definition of sin, I believe, in the whole Bible is in Romans 14, 1423. Let me read it to you. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Read that again. From whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Yours may say whatever is not from faith is sin. That's what most of them say. What makes this so powerful, it just like, like he, we read in Hebrews, it's like a sword that just cuts right down to the mirror, right down to the center, right down to the core of what sin is in, in all it's in our actions and our attitudes. You know what it is? When our actions and our attitudes don't trust God. That means for everything. You know, this, this verse, just, it blows away all of our list of do's and don'ts. You got a lot of those? I know a lot of our do's are a little bit shorter than our don'ts. Um, in the original language, this is stressed even more than any other version. It says everything, all things, everything that we have, we exist, everything around us um, that is not from faith is sin. Anything, absolutely any act or attitude that comes from a lack of trust in God is sin. No matter how moral it may appear to men, God looks at our heart. Romans 14, Paul's addressing something that we, we kind of get hung up on what he says in Romans 14. And you know that part about the meat and the vegetarian, that, that war that's going on. Um, you know, some, some people thought it was wrong to eat meat. Those were the vegetarians. And, they were, they were, um, and others thought it was, that all foods were good. Those were the gluttons. No, I'm kidding. Those, those are the ones who thought it was okay to eat meat. Um, <clears throat> Maybe they're glutens. No, 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 the gut. Paul agreed with the ones who saw all things as safe to eat because of their, uh, their faith. But he, he wanted both groups to walk in love, you know, about the, about the dispute. So, look, back up. Let me, let me just give you the cliff notes on this one. Back up in verse 2, it says, One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed them. Let's skip down to verse 14. It says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, do not eat any longer walking. You, wait a minute. If your brother is grieved Greed by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And then down in verse 21, he said, It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You know what Paul's doing? Now, this sounds a lot about food, right? About our diets. And, and our household knows about diets. We, we, that's not what he's talking about at all. You know what he's doing? He's redefining sin. Huh. And we're, we're, Ken, you really lost it now. See, really, sin can't be defined by eating and drinking examples. Hmm. Iris, are you listening? Okay. <laughs> eating, eating meat 
may or not be sinful according to whether it originates from the love according uh, to verse 15. It says you're not walking in love anymore if you're condemning somebody by what they eat. Okay, but there's more than love or, or, or lack of love even it, it shown here. And you see it in, in uh, verses 22 and 23. Listen to it. The faith that you have, keep, being, keep between yourself and God. If your faith frees you from, from feeling guilty about eating meat, for example, don't drink. Uh, you don't have to drink and then flaunt it in front of everybody else. But listen to this. It says this. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, it, it is joy to have a clear conscience about anything that you do and, and what you're eating. And then it ends with this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You know, if you're, you're not sure whether eating meat is wrong and you might think it, it might be wrong... But you go ahead and you eat it anyway instead of denying yourself um, and what you think might be sin, uh, then you're condemned. You're guilty of sin. And the reason is that this kind of eating is not the faith, um, it's not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. You follow me? Now, the something here is that, that, that to go ahead and eat meat when you think it may be wrong is an eating which does not come from faith. Why is that? Uh, why can this kind of eating be from faith? Why not? You know what? If we can just answer that question, then we can understand what Paul's really saying when he's talking about genuine faith, saving faith. So let's see, see if we can do that. The real question is, is, is why do we go ahead and do something we think may be wrong or harmful to others. Why is that? Why do we do that? Anybody here ever done that? I'm not talking about eating or drinking or doing anything, doing any action that might be harmful to others around us that are even believers. How would we do that? You know why? Because it might hurt our happiness. It might not make us happy. That's kind of selfish. That's kind of getting back to me, isn't it? Isn't that what makes it sin? We're willing to, to, to risk hurting someone or doing what we feel may be wrong because that course of action seems to hold out the most happiness for us. We do that because we think life will be more pleasant for us in the future, right? Our own happiness, or at least more bearable. If that's true, it is easy to see how we're not acting from faith, isn't it? Thinking about ourselves only and not really about bringing glory to God. Uh, faith would, would see what's the possible wrong in what we're doing, wouldn't it? And, it, and see what it may cause and wouldn't want to make, take that risk to make the future happier for us. Faith trusts God to make our future better. Do you have that kind of faith? You know why he makes our future better? For his glory. And we're with him. We have to trust God for that in everything that we do. So it's obvious that when we're trying to make our future happier or better or whatever, 
at the risk of wrong or harm to somebody else, we're certainly not acting in faith, are we? Faith rests in God to shape our future and what's going to happen. Now here's where we get a glimpse, just a little glimpse, I think, into what Paul means by saving faith or, or genuine faith um, that changes lives. What comes out of verse 23 is, is that faith is confidence, trust. That's the same word in the Greek, that trust in God to work in whatever we do so that he's doing what's happy, what's best for us. Now, don't misunderstand that. God's not here to serve us, but he's going to do what's best for us because that's what's best for his will and for his perfect will and brings him glory. How power, what kind of power do you think would be unleashed if your life and mine, right this minute, we rested in the fact that God is busy at work doing what's best for us and in his glory? And we rested and trusted that. You know what? There's a big, big error in the church today. You're gonna, you may just take me out of here and throw me out in the back after this. But listen, to this. there's a big error going in the church today that says that saving faith, a saving faith, focused mainly on what God has done for me. That is basically, he's found a way for my sins not to be held against me. And that's what the church is all about. That's a big error because let me tell you what, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, all the way through God's word, and in, uh, the most essential element, I believe, of faith focuses on what God will do for us now and in the future because we're with him. It's for his glory. Saving faith is not only confident that God has forgiven our sins through the death of Jesus Christ, but also that God is now at work in everything we do and all of our activities as we walk with him to do us good. According to Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things in him, in his will. Uh, and yes, he will. You know, a, a saving faith is confident of that. Of course, all things here means that, that uh, things that are that are best for us, including all sorts of tribulation. Which is why Paul said in Romans five, he says, "Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, trust." And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See? Saving faith is primarily future-oriented. It's not limited to, to just heaven-oriented, too. You want to tell what having faith in, in God, complete, genuine faith in him, is having faith in the future that he's going to provide it one hour from now, or tomorrow, or next week, or, or a year from now. That's where our faith is in the future, in God, in Him. 
It's not an amen here this morning, huh? Hmm. Abraham was justified by faith. He stood clean before God. But, but what was his faith? Look at Romans 4.20. It says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he had promised. Boy, go back and read the story of Abraham. That ought to just really bring you to your knees. Saving faith means resting in the promises of God. You know what they are? You've gone through your Bible and you looked and found the promises of God? Oh. What promises? Let me give you just a few. All the promises for that matter. But here's one. We know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23, 6. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. Hebrews 13, 5. Saving faith is confident in the promises and the power of God. So it's not anxious. Saving faith is it's not anxious about tomorrow, but it has joy and peace. Taking God's word, taking God at his word. Listen to me in Romans 15. He says, may the, that's why I think Paul wrote this. He said, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That'd be a great benediction, even this morning, wouldn't it? You know what? Trusting the God of hope gives us joy and peace, doesn't it? Even when there's fighting and there's turmoil and you know, I got to tell you, the night before last, you know, there were, there were helicopters floating over shoppers over here and, you know, all, all the searchlights and all that stuff and, and there, you sirens going off everywhere. But you know what? We serve a God of peace. And nothing can separate us from that love, can it? We just place our hope and our trust in him and he does give us that peace no matter what's going on. Earthquakes or hurricanes or any of that. What are we afraid of? The love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and nothing can separate him from that love, and that's the power of God right here in all of us. You know, I believe that that, that whole hope is, is the foundation of Romans 14, 23. Sin is, is anything, any act, any emotion, any attitude that doesn't come from the confidence and the trust that I have in God. And then he calls it sin. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. There's three things I want us to see just real quickly about this sin that I, I see even here. First, sin is based on unbelief. Wouldn't you say that's true, what we just said? Um, every sin that I can think of is based on a character of unbelief, on a lie. But unbelief, unbelief in God. And, and you know, we know we're not talking about just refusing to, to, to receive the trust, uh, the truths that we find in the Bible. Uh, we aren't saved by giving mental assent to the promises of God. They have to come and live in our heart. We have to know them by the eyes of our heart. Uh, we are saved by whether we hope with our hearts in the promises, the promises that God's given us. His word. He's, by the way, you know we used to have the promise keeper? Do you remember that? 30 years ago? God is the ultimate promise keeper. 
He's never broken a promise, and he never will. We need to just trust him. And you know, it's the unbelief that really displeases God in every sinful act. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever could draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Impossible to please him without faith. You betcha. You know, think about this. If, if you had a friend, that's the greatest insult there is to, to not place our faith in God when he gives us his promises. If you had a friend who's a great, powerful guy, you know, and he, he says, hey, I see you got a problem. Don't worry. I'll fix it. And you go to him and say, eh, you know what? I don't trust you anymore to fix it. I think I can take care of myself better than you can. Now, if that guy has wisdom and he has power and knowledge and all those things to fix your problem, and you say, nah, I'm going to do this on my own, he would consider it an insult, right? And he would even consider um, turning away from you. You don't need him anymore. He doesn't need you anymore. Uh, That's kind of a shallow way to look at it in the human sense, isn't it? Think about the insult to God. Here we are humans who depend on his grace for every breath, everything that we do. And we tell him, oh, no, I've got this one, God. I don't need you. Instead of placing our faith in his trust. That's the ultimate insult, isn't it? Praise the Lord, we serve a God of mercy and a God who loves us and a God full of grace. Here's another thing I want to see about this sin uh, in Romans 14, 23, is that we need to stop thinking of sin as a list of do's and don'ts, you know, the Ten Commandments or something like that. Yeah, those are God's rules and everything. I I don't know that we we could ever keep all of them. None of us ever have. Um... Everything that is not from faith is sin. So let me tell you what. Coming to church could be a sin. Or not coming to church could be a sin. Uh, Eating steak may be a sin. Although I disagree with that one. But eating steak may be a sin. And not eating steak may be a sin. Uh, One of Satan's most successful lies is that sin can be limited to this manageable list of do's and don'ts. The Pharisees failed at that one, didn't they? They even made that a whole religion of do's and don'ts. didn't work. I'm not sure that there's not some of us here who haven't done that same thing. And I think that the reason that, that it's so sinful, it's just plain satanic, I believe, is that it causes thousands of churchgoers to think that it, it's okay between them and God because <clears throat> if they avoid you know, one of the lists, one list of don'ts, and they have one list of do's and all that. But, but in fact, they're sinning all day long, every day, because their faith in God is missing, is lacking. We're not placing our faith in his promises. Yeah, so don't think this can't happen here. It has happened. And I think that probably happened to every one of us, hasn't it? Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He was concerned about them for doing the very same thing. He said, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. 
you know what? I think Satan is in the business of replacing our faith with his lies. And I think he does it all day long. You know, he, he loves to take the, a life that's just, just flowing uh, from happy confidence in God and turn it into a religious regimen, some sort of perfunctory thing that we have to do. You know what? Don't let him do that in your life. For whatever is not from faith is sin, including religion. The real battle of life, I, I, I took this from someone. I want to read you, but I think it was maybe in Edwards or somebody. But listen, it says, the real battle of life is not fought at a low-lying delta where the river of our inclination flows into action, but at the high less accessible spring of faith. Did you get that? You know what that means? We're not down here in the dirt and mud, you know, and we kind of make our decisions and go with the flow. The real battle's being fought up here where our faith is, comes from God, and it's, it streams to us. Matter of fact, uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The faith in God is where the springs of life come from. One more thing I want to see about this sin, and it's a warning for those who um, have not gone to Christ for forgiveness or placed their hope in him. If you ever say, you know, I don't really have that many sins. I'm good with God. Or, you know, my sins are small. I've really been an upstanding citizen. Or I've been a really great guy all my life. I, I'm, I'm morally good. I do all the things right, you know, all those things we, we learned in Boy Scouts <laughs> and, and, you know, and all those things. You know, I, I'm, I'm an upstanding person. I, I do it all right. According to Romans 14, 23, everything you do is sin because it's not from faith in God. If you're not trusting Christ for forgiveness and you're not resting in, in his his daily work on your behalf and everything that he does, then none of your actions come from faith. That every one of them, even the most noble ones we learned in Scouts, is sinful and it's an insult to the infinitely trustworthy God. And I hope that if you're one of these people, if you've not received Christ, you would do that now. You would come and place your faith in Jesus Christ. The only one who can cover all your sins before the heavenly God who someday will judge all of our sins. Can you say that Christ has covered mine? And here's all you have to do is come before him and say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ is God's son, is a gift to us is eternal life because he has volunteered and come and died and taken away those sins so that God won't pour his wrath out on those sins anymore. All you have to do is place your faith in him. And that's his promise. That's God's promise. You place your faith in him and make him Lord of your life and you will be saved. You know, I'm going to pray a prayer. Right now, and even if you're a believer, 
and you already have come to Christ, <clears throat> then pray this with me. And it'll just be reaffirmation of who you are in Jesus Christ. But if you're not a believer, oh, would you pray this prayer and come to Jesus today? We're going to have a time of response here in just a, just a minute. And that's the time to come and say, make him Lord of your life. And declare that before all of us who are believers in him. We've given our hearts to him and trust him daily. And we want to trust him more and more every day too. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, almighty, all-powerful God, we can never escape you. We could never get away from you. And here we are before you this morning, Lord. You see us. You found us. And, Lord, we want to give our hearts to you, to believe in you in everything that we do, to make you Lord of our lives, of all of our actions. I confess my sin and I know I need I should be deserved I deserve to be condemned for insulting you by our lack of faith but I believe in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that as your son he died he took my sin and he bears the punishment for my sin for me as a gift so that I can live forever in your presence, oh God. Lord, I want to take you now as my only hope, my only trust in everything that I do. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness and for your promise to be with us now, Lord. Guard us against all the Satan's lies and schemes around us as only you can. In your precious name, amen. We're going to have a time of response right now. And however the Lord's moving in your heart, go to him right now. Give him your heart in all that you do. And if you've just now given your heart to the Lord, come. Share that with us. We want to rejoice with you. Because I can tell you, when someone comes to Jesus Christ, all heaven rejoices. Because you're now going to be with him forever and ever in his glory. Let's stand and let's sing. Just as I am. What a great song. Sing that with me and pray as we do that. And if the Lord's moving in your heart, please come. This is an altar where we pray to Him all together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed.